Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Michelle Emerson and Bridget Spackman, and we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. We recently reached out on Instagram, and when we say recently, it's actually like a month ago by the time you're hearing this, but it's (laughs) recently for us, (laughs) and we asked you all to share any questions that you had, so today we are going to answer them. But first, we're going to jump into a TSH from Sam. Sam says, I have been a first grade teacher for four years now, and I've spent so much time organizing, creating materials, resources, etc. I just accepted a new job in a new district as a kindergarten teacher, and I feel like a first year teacher all over again. I'm trying to find ways to use resources and materials from my previous job, but feeling overwhelmed about expectations, what to throw away or what might actually be useful. I love this TSH because it's something Bridget and I can both relate to. So here is what I did when I transitioned from second grade to fourth grade. I took all of my files, which at this point, most of them were like digital. I was never that paper file kind of person. I took all of my physical or no digital files. (laughs) See, now I'm confusing myself. And I put them into a single folder. Now, at the time, this was on a flash drive because... It was in my flash drive days, which I Mm -hmm. cringe thinking about. But now it would be in Google Drive, okay? And I literally labeled it second grade. So I had all of my second grade files in one place. If you happen to have any like paper documents or files, put them into a big bin, okay? So whether that's like a big file box or literally like a big sterlite bin and you're just putting all of the papers in there, label it. That way they're gone and you can still get to them, but they're out of the way. Then you really have to embrace like that newness of your new job, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to get to have these new ideas and you're going to get to try things out a different way. So for me, when I transitioned to fourth grade and I was at a new school, new district, that's actually when I started using Google Drive. And I remember at the beginning, I was kind of hesitant. I was like, I don't know about this. And now it's literally my favorite thing. So be okay with trying those new things. Ask your team teachers to share as much as possible (laughs) and then try to incorporate some of your own ideas. That way you're still like giving back. But I will say having a lot of new teachers come to my team, I never expected them from the get-go to like have all these ideas to share. Like I understood they were new to the grade level and it was literally like, hey, this first year, just kind of absorb it, right? Like listen, feel free to share your own ideas, but don't feel like you have to. And so when I transitioned to fourth grade, it was a lot of just listening to my team teachers and figuring out how they did things. And if I had ideas, I would share them. But otherwise, I was just trying to absorb and take in as much from them as possible. Yeah, Sam, listen, I mean, even though you've been teaching um, for four years, which was the exact same time frame that, that I taught before moving to fourth grade, this is absolutely going to feel like you're a new teacher all over again. Just give yourself some grace and just take some take some time and take from other teachers around you. Do not feel bad that even though you have this experience that you're having to take from them to be able to get yourself through this first year. It's going to feel like it's, it's going to be overwhelming, hands down. So 
Here's the thing, remind yourself at the end of the day that you have the foundations for what is good teaching, right? You have behavior management, you have a really good idea of good teaching practices, how to manage a classroom, some of the expectations that are gonna, responsibilities that you're gonna have as a teacher. From there, I mean, you can always build. Focus on kind of just knowing that you have this piece and then you can always build in some of those fun creative activities. But honestly, I would just take from a lot of teachers around you and just kind of take this year to just settle in. Um, we talk a lot about how things are going to be wobbly as we transition and this is going to be a wobbly time for you. So it's going to be okay. Don't overthink it. Don't um, stress yourself out about it. Everything will start to kind of feel as though you got it. Now that was the perfect transition in today, into today's episode because we are just answering a bunch of your questions. <laughs> we have done some Q&As before. We did three, actually, to my memory, Bridget. One, yes. we focused on time management questions. One, we focused on organization questions. And one, we focused on productivity questions. Now, today's episode is going to be more of just a big hodgepodge, right? Like we just kind of threw them all in together. I like hodgepodge. <laughs> I, I love hodgepodge. Um, so we're going to kind of jump all around, but we're just going to give some like rapid fire answers to questions that we got on Instagram. Okay. So are we going to try to say names here? Yes. You want me to Good just luck. do my best? All yes. right. I'm going to just do my best. All right. So um, first question is going to be from teaching with Miss Tob. Yep. That's exactly right. what I would have said. Awesome. <laughs> the question is, Tips for first-year teachers for setting up systems for a successful year. Don't try to do it all. <laughs> I mean, that's my <laughs> best tip. Choose one area to focus on for the year. So depending on each person I think is different and what they need, it could be classroom management. It could be like maybe you want to get your lesson planning down pat. But choose something that you feel like will most benefit you and focus on that for the year. And then just get as much content in that area as possible. So start following hashtags on Instagram. Start reaching out to other teachers and, and getting support. Start reading books. Start going to conferences. Like just surround yourself with that type of content, whatever your focus is, as much as you can so that it's there and you can continue to learn and grow. And take ideas from other teachers, but make them your own. You don't have to do it exactly the way you see other teachers doing it. You know, they always say like, it's like going to Walmart, you're going to take what you need, but not everything. So make it your own and don't overwhelm yourself with trying to do everything because you never will be able to. Yeah, definitely. I think for the first year, beg, borrow and steal. I mean, mm -hmm. you need to live by that philosophy. And I, for, for so much, I think uh, a lot of new teachers want to come into a new school almost to prove themselves. They want to prove that they're good teachers. They want to prove their dedication. They're passionate about education, their, their need and love to, you know, support students. They want to prove so many things. But at that first year, I mean, they don't teach you everything in, <laughs> in college. They don't teach you nearly as not enough of what the real teaching experience is going to be like. So so beg, bar, and steal. Use what other teachers are already doing, and you could always put a spin on it a little bit later on. But just get your footing. Make sure that you're feeling really good about what you have so far and stick with behavior management because I'll be honest, behavior management, if you don't have that down, you're not going to get a single lesson plan taught <laughs> if yep. you don't have behavior management. So beg, borrow, steal, focus on behavior management. And then from there, you can always kind of start to tweak things and improve things. No one is sitting here, like other teachers are not going to be judging you coming into your first year saying, why doesn't she have ideas? Why, does, why isn't she sharing? They're mm -hmm. not going to judge you at all for that. We promise. Yep. 
Okay, this next one, I'm going to butcher this name. I'm yep. so sorry. All right, I'm just going to give it a, a go and then I'll spell it afterwards. Um, Caviad Hakul underscore. <laughs> so it was K A V A D H A K A L underscore. Mm-hmm. What are the top two time management tips? Wow, top two time management tips. That's an alliteration. You have yeah. for students. Ooh, Ooh plot twist. Students, I Which, know. y'all, we did not write out answers to these ahead of time. We literally just listed the questions. So Bridget, you're on the spot. Go ahead. Give us some grace here. <laughs> here we go. So I would say one of the first things is to help students understand the task that they have to complete. Um, So when you have a specific block of time, and let's say you're in upper elementary, because I am thinking upper elementary since I teach it, in upper elementary, we give students tasks, right? You need to do this, 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 right? But you need to help teach them a way in which to complete those tasks and how to go about doing it. So for me, I would have students come in and I would say, all right, take out a sticky note. They might take out a sticky note. And then they would write three goals that they had for that class period. And so at the end of it, we would review our goals and the students would tell me what they were able to accomplish and what they didn't accomplish for that day. And whatever they didn't accomplish, they had to do it for homework. Um, So that's going to be one thing is that helping students realize like, what is it that I need to focus on? It's almost like getting them to create their own power list, right? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So they're almost creating that power list for themselves. Now, if you're in lower elementary, obviously that's going to be a little bit different because you're kind of moving them along. Um, But another time management tip that I would end up having is that I would tell my students that um, to set like specific time frames because let's be honest, they don't understand how long something should end up taking or how much time and effort they should end up putting. I have kids who will either do something for like two minutes or I have students who will do something and it will take them like 25 to 30 or 40 minutes to be able to get things accomplished. So teaching kids how to work within specific time constraints is also really important just so that they have a better understanding of how much effort and time they should be putting into something. Now, now, obviously, if you have students who have IEPs or something, you're all you're always going to accommodate for those kiddos. But we have to teach kids how to manage their time effectively. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. So I think my two would be number one, use checklists. This is something obviously Bridget and I preach about, but I think it is beneficial for students and I've seen it be beneficial for students. So in terms of checklists that students might use, they might have a checklist on the inside of like their locker or their cubby that reminds them what to do in the morning, right? So like hang up your coat, hang up your book bag, get out your folder, turn in any papers to your teachers, get this book. And it kind of gives them that flow of, of what they need to do. And then obviously academic checklists. So things like, you know, a writing process checklist or maybe a checklist of like solving the standard algorithm for addition. Those types of checklists can be super helpful for students and it's going to allow them to really maximize their time because they know what the next step is. They don't have to think about it. And then my second tip would be just to have them learn how to think ahead. So I think back to my childhood and I did Taekwondo growing up. And I remember twice a week, my mom would pick me up from school and she would take me and my sister to Taekwondo. And I knew that those nights we would get home late because, so I grew up on a little island and we would have to drive across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge in order to get to where the 
Taekwondo studio was. Mm -hmm. And we would get home those nights at like nine o'clock at night. So I knew that those were not nights when I was going to be able to get a lot of homework done. So I would make sure at the beginning of the week, from what I remember, our practices were like Tuesdays and Thursdays. So Monday night, I would do some of my homework like extra so that I wouldn't have to worry about it on nights when I had Taekwondo. So I knew for spelling, we had certain activities. We had like ABC order, write them three times each, all of that. I would actually try to get all of that done on Monday so that I didn't have to worry about it the rest of the week. So trying to like think ahead and knowing what your schedule might be like and what you could do in advance in order to make it easier. I love that Michelle was a productivity like <laughs> guru, even at the age oh, yeah. of a little child. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> Our next question comes from underscore Miss Blackstone. Um, that was a lot easier. Thank you. So what, productiv- what productive activity would you choose if you had two minutes, five minutes, and 30 minutes to spare? Ooh. Ooh okay. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Two minutes. I would go through my phone and clean out pictures. And I know some of you are like, that's not productive. It is for me. Y'all, I have thousands of pictures and videos on my phone. So I have the 256 gig iPhone, like mm-hmm. the almost the biggest one. I Big think they one. do have a 512, but it's it's a massive amount of space. Um, and it's almost full. So I'm constantly having to go in and delete pictures, which keep in mind, like from a business standpoint, so much of that is done Mm -hmm. on the phone. So I love to go through and clean out pictures for five minutes. Honestly, I feel like one of the most productive things I can do in five minutes is just going through my email inbox and like helping to process some of the emails because I get so many. But if I truly set a timer for five minutes, I can get through quite a a bit of emails during that time, especially because I use templates. And so I can just easily like pop in the response. And then for 30 minutes, I would say like doing a reset of a space. So for example, I know sometimes like my nightstand drawers or like my desk drawer would get kind of messy over time, right? Like you start putting things back, not in the right spot. So I love to do a reset where I like put everything back exactly where it goes. I get rid of any clutter. And I feel like that's something I can reasonably do in 30 minutes. And it's going to allow me to maximize that space so much more in the future and allow me to be more productive. Okay, so I'm going to go in the route of me being in my classroom. So if I was in my classroom, what would I do for two minutes, five minutes, and 30 minutes? If I had two minutes, I would clear off my desk a little bit because I feel like sometimes when, you know, you're in the moment and you're like teaching and you're in it, it, things can get a little bit messy. So I would basically just kind of clear off my desk. If I had five minutes, I would most likely use that time to... Um, sort through my inbox, like my paper inbox or my emails, something to that extent. That's what I would do for five minutes. Now, if I had 30 minutes to spare, I would focus on just doing it for grading um, and getting grading done. Because I will be honest, guys, I am not great on t- staying on top of grading. That is my goal this year. Last year was my emails because I've always been really horrible at emails. I did a really good job at that. This year, it's going to be grading. That's my goal. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Next question is actually from our friend, Marielle, Pencils and Magic Wands. She asked, what are your best tips for organizing the paper monster in the classroom? So speaking of grading, Bridget, go ahead. 
Um, so I would say to try to go digital if possible, if possible, because I know a lot of schools are still, they are not one-to-one, but if you are one-to-one, I would try to go digital. I think I went more digital than I have ever been last year, obviously for obvious reasons, duh. Um, and I am very lucky in the sense that I have one-to-one in my classroom. So I'm sticking with staying as digital as possible. Um, but if you do have a paper monster and you do have an amount of papers, I would say to create some sort of a system to have a catch-all in the beginning. So for instance, I'm thinking of just like random sheets of paper that you're constantly getting, create an inbox. The inbox is gonna be where you throw everything that comes into your hand. So if somebody gives it to you in your hand, you put it inside of the inbox. You have to find time somewhere most preferably at the end of the day to be able to sort through that inbox. Go through every single piece of paper and determine what you're gonna do with it. So here are some of the things that you can do. One, you might need to wait on it. So it might need to be something that you have to wait for somebody else to complete something or you're waiting for other information. So you can put it in a waiting in a box. You can delegate it. So that means that you can hand it off to somebody else who needs to take care of something for that. You can keep it for as a reference. So that means you can file it away to where you need it to be so that you can reference it at another time or you can complete the task and then just throw it away. So you can just put it inside of the trash. Um, And that has been a really big help for me. Now, obviously that's going to be a little bit different from having like papers that you're grading or papers that students are turning in. And I'll be honest, and I'm going to probably let Michelle talk about it because she does a really beautiful job with just her binder clips and organizing that aspect. So Michelle, take it away. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's important to have a place for every paper. So whether that is a single inbox, what Bridget was just referencing, Mm -hmm. where all papers go in there and then you sort them or you could have separate areas for different classifications of paper. This is more what I do. So I did have a like class mailbox. So any papers my students needed to turn into me would go in that mailbox. Mm-hmm. But then I had drawers where I organized my like weekly copies. I also had a drawer for papers that I needed to copy, papers I needed to file, papers that were maybe for lessons like further than a week out when I was like really on top of it and was able to lesson plan that far in advance. And having all of these areas made it really easy to keep things organized because I knew exactly where to put them. And Bridget referenced like all of my binder clips. So For me, when I think about the paper monster, I think about all those papers that like my students are turning in and then that like managing, trying to get them collected, graded, and then passed back to them. So for me, I had separate bins for each group of kiddos because I was departmentalized. So I had different blocks of students. So each block was assigned a color. So for example, I'd have a blue block, a purple block, and a green block. Their turn in bin matched that color. Once they turned it into the bin, I actually had a teacher's assistant who would take a binder clip that was the same color. So for example, any papers that got turned into that blue bin would get a blue binder clip. They would binder clip them and they put them into my grade drawer. And that was one less thing that I did not have to worry about. Like my students would take care of that for me. Then I would sit at my desk and grade those papers right by the grade drawer. And after I finished grading them, I would take and put them into a bin over by a file box. So I actually utilized a file box to be able to pass papers back to students. Um, We utilize something called like Friday folders or Tuesday folders, whatever. I feel like we did different days depending on the year. But (laughs) basically, I would put all the graded papers into that bin. They would get 
organized into the file box. And then from there, they would go into student folders. And a lot of times I would just call the students' names. I'm like, Johnny, come get your papers. And they'd bring their folder up. I'd hand them their stack of papers. So I didn't have to worry about stuffing the folders myself. Um, and then that way it was, it was a system, right? Like it was a process. And as long as I followed the steps, I never had to worry about papers being all over the place because they were always in one of those spots, if that makes sense. Yeah. See, didn't I tell you guys that she had a really good system? I told you. I'm just trying to go more digital now. So yeah, <laughs> that's the yeah. route that I'm going to stick to. Um, so the next question is from Jay Fisher 4092 Another wonderful name. Thank you for making that simple for me. How do you organize student data? All right. I have a couple different things that I do. So I'm going to focus on two main ones. Uh, number one, I have used data binders. As Bridget mentioned, you know, it's great if you can do things digitally, but the reality is sometimes there are physical papers. Mm -hmm. So I would have a binder for each block of students. I already mentioned I had different blocks. And within that binder, I actually use the dividers that had numbers on them. So you can buy them like going up to, I think, 25, 50, 100, whatever. So I would have the dividers with the numbers. That way I could reuse it every single year. The very first page in my binder would actually be a class roster and it would have my students numbered. So it was alphabetical and like this student was one, this student was two. So that way that was like a table of contents. I knew what number to flip to and I would flip to that student. Once I flipped to that like divided section, I had a cover sheet for each student. Now this is a template that I created. Basically it had their name and then it was a one-sheeter that I could use all year. So I had a spot to put their grades for each marking period for each subject, just like a little table. I had a spot to put all of their assessment scores and their reading levels and a spot for notes, all of that good stuff. So that was like kind of my like landing spot, if you will. Behind that, I would put any copies of papers that I needed to keep. So for example, maybe assessment results or if a student ever got below a C on an assignment, I would make a copy of that paper and I'd put it in there. That way, if it came up at a conference, I had an original copy of their work and I was able to reference it. So I would keep all of that within the binder. But I also kept some forms of student data on my computer. So I really like to use Google Sheets for this, which is basically like Excel. It's a spreadsheet. And I use this more so for me, just kind of tracking and seeing patterns. So for example, like assignment completion, I had little check boxes where I would check off when students did things. That way, like turning in homework, for example, I never graded homework, but I would keep track of which students turned it in. And that way I could start to see like those patterns. Um, um, and what's great about Google Sheets is you can have different like actual sheets all within the same workbook. So it's one document, but you could kind of flip between different sheets. And so I would have some that were dedicated to like papers getting turned in and I'd have other ones that would track like assessment scores and things like that. But it was all in one place. What about you, Bridget? That was a lot. I'm sorry. I, I use spreadsheets exactly the way that you use it. So I used it to be able to track because I don't know about other people, but when I'm looking at my LMS, it's really hard because I have like this tiny screen, it's really hard to kind of see the whole class view of what everyone's doing. And so I just took the extra initiative and the extra step of just kind of clicking and making sure one assignments were completed, but also I would color in each of the blocks to say if they were mastery competent or developing, because that's the, the scale that we use. We're standards mm -hmm. based at my school. And so again, just like you said, I use it to be able to track patterns and that was always really helpful. And so I did that. But the other thing that I 
do is I, I don't have space for data binders, unfortunately. Like I used to have binders, but I don't do that anymore. So what I've done over the past several years that I've really enjoyed is actually have a file folder. And so I have those Ikea carts. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I, on the top of it, I took one of the inserts that's inside of like a file cabinet. And then I had my my husband like chop it off so that to make it kind of small so it fit on top of the cart and so I'm able to put file folders on top of my Ikea cart like the hanging file folders and so each student will have their own file folder for math and then one for ELA we don't grade science and social studies so I don't have to worry about that um and then with that inside of each of them there will be inside of each folder there's uh, several things one there's going to be a um, learning target tracker so this is going to be a way for me to have conferences with my students and so we will track where they are in their learning targets and kind of say oh yep i finished this i was mastery i was competent on this kind of just to see where they are developing just together and then we would also have our goal sheets we would have any form of assessments in there, reflection pages all of it kind of goes inside of these folders there. And it's basically a tool for my students to kind of track where they're going in their learning, but also a way for me to kind of guide the conversation for when I'm in doing individual conferences. But those are the main two. Okay. So I just have mine like in binders in dividers and yours yeah. are in file folders. Yeah. So, basically. okay. All right. Next question is from Jacqueline underscore McGee. Digital is great, but what non-digital items are necessary to be productive, organized, etc.? Ooh. Yeah. So I got to be honest. I was thinking about this while you were answering your other question because <laughs> I wanted to give a really thoughtful answer here. So one of the first things that I think about when it comes to like my own productivity in my classroom, I'm going to say clipboards. Um, and mainly with those clipboards, it's going to have specific types of checklists. Um, I really enjoy checklists and I will use them periodically. Like I have like three different types that I will use. Um, so I keep a, a pack of those checklists like on a clipboard at all times. And I have several clipboards actually, because we have learning target clipboards. I have, you know, my calendar that allows me to do uh, my individual conferences and set that up. So those are going to be one item that I really like. And the other one, I'm going to say it's going to be my inbox, which I talked about just a little bit earlier, but it just allows me to be able to track everything that I need. Um, the third item that I would end up saying, so I only have three, but the third item that I want to end up saying is that when I do have some form of paper items, which I don't necessarily have a ton of that anymore, but during those times when I did use a lot of paper materials, I had a 43 folder system that I still have right now in my classroom and I will use it as needed. But that 43 folder system is just a great way to be able to store like upcoming and I can plan several weeks ahead versus having to only stick to like one week, one week, one week, one week. Um, and I really enjoyed that. So those are probably my my like top three. Okay. Who I, uh, yeah, you mentioned the inbox. I feel like my different paper drawer organizer systems mm -hmm. would definitely be included. Um, one thing I'm going to throw out is like, I love to have either a whiteboard, a pad of paper, sticky note, something to just like brain dump. So I love to store all of my checklists and notes digitally in like Google Tasks or Google Keep or my notes app. But when it comes to brain dumping, like when I'm in the thick of just trying to figure something out, I love to just put it down on like paper and be able to scratch and draw arrows and 
all of that. So I definitely need some type of like paper or whiteboard to be able to do that on. Um, And then in terms of organization, it's interesting because we've talked a lot about how like we're not huge fans of file cabinets or binders, but I do think they're necessary for something. So like you mentioned, the 43 folder file system. I've also had going back to like student data, obviously student data binders, but like a sub binder, I have a sub binder. It's like physical. I have the same copies of things on my computer, so I can send it digitally, but it's nice to have like a physical binder as well. Um, and honestly, I feel like that's it. I used to have a physical calendar, like a desk calendar, but now I do all of my calendar stuff digital and obviously like planning. I started paper planning, but now I plan everything digitally. So I feel like for me, that's all I really need. That's physical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this next question is from RAC0Y. <laughs> Um, And the question is, what type of tools do you use as timers within the classroom during activities? Okay, I'm going to highlight four different like versions. So number one, most often used by me is actual videos of timers. So if you go on YouTube and you type in like five minute timer, you can find a video where it counts down. I import those into my Google Slides constantly so that when I get to like the independent work slide or the group work slide, the timer is already there and I just play the video when I want it to start. So that is huge. I also have a giant classroom timer. It's like, I don't know, the size of my face. Um, It's red from Lakeshore Learning. Love that timer. It's magnetic. It sticks up on my whiteboard and I'm able to like constantly uh, just go up and like add time to it and play it. And my students can all see it. I also really like using sand timers, like for individual students. Um, So I have some students who kind of need that like redirection during independent work. And I had different sand timers that were like one minute, two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, et cetera. So I would use those a lot. And then my last one is actually like the little timer on my Apple watch. So I have the watch face where I kind of have a lot of elements all on it. So I have like the weather, I have the date, the time, my calendar, my rings, music, and then I have a little timer. So I like to use that when I'm in the middle of a lesson and I'm telling my kids, hey, 30 seconds to talk as a group. I could click that real quick, have the timer. My students don't really need to see it. It's really just for me. So I don't say, all right, one more minute. And then like five minutes goes by and we haven't moved on. So I will just click it. It will start the timer and then it'll just kind of like vibrate right on my wrist when the time is up. So, yep, 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 and yep. That's all I got. You know what I want to bring up with you, Bridget? Do you remember when you got that timer that was like a cube? Do you still still use that? Okay, do you want to explain that? Oh my gosh, guys, this timer cube thing is so cool. So basically what it is, is it is a block or a cube and on each side it has different times. So it has like a two minute, a five minute, a 10 minute, 20 minutes, so on and so forth. And when you turn it on, you just put it, you face the time that you specifically want facing up and it will like just go, like it will go and it will like ding or, or vibrate or something. I can't remember what it does right now, but it vibrates whenever it's it's finished. It is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. That would be great for individual kids. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, I Mental think that note, would be great I need for to take students. that for my kids. But yeah, I use all the exact same things, but I, I totally forgot that I have that. It actually came in two. I, came, I have two different ones. Yeah, I remember when you got that. It was a couple years ago. So I was curious if you were going to mention it. Okay. Well, I I think I saw it on like somebody's post or something and I ended up buying it because I thought it was so cool. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. This next question is just for you. All right. Okay. This is from Headbands and Happy Days. <laughs> Bridget, how did having kids impact mm-hmm. all things top for you at home, especially while baby slash toddler? Yeah, that's a that's a hard one <laughs> because I think everybody's like situations are a little bit different. I had Ian when I was 21 years old. And so I tried living on my own and I couldn't. Um, really struggled. And so I moved back at home with my mom. And so I had my mom to help me quite a bit. And I was basically working two jobs. I was going to school. I was trying to do all the things to be able to, you know, take care of him because I'm, I'm a very proud person. I don't like to ask for help. (laughs) Um, Especially when it feels like as though I'm failing, I'm, it takes a lot for me to say, you know, I need help. So that was a little bit different. But then when I had Blaine, I feel like I had kind of settled into teaching. And I had been, you know, I had Ian, who was at that time six, he was turning seven. And for me, I think the biggest part is just really understanding my time and communicating with your partner. Um, So I knew that during specific times of the day is when I would have opportunities to work. So for me, that's really early in the morning before my kids wake up. Um, I might be able to, you know, do some task switching um, as I am trying to cook. So I might have my laptop up and I might be working as I'm waiting for something to simmer, that kind of a thing. Um, And then, you know, very late at the end of the night when I'm able to lay down and I can just, you know, have my quiet time because the kids are all kind of to bed. So that's going to be one of them is just identifying those times that you have available to you. And the biggest thing is going to be setting a routine for you and your family. I I think hands down is really, really helpful. Having that routine will help you to identify that those pockets of time that you can really focus and be productive. The other thing I would tell you is communication with your partner. And this means talking to them about this is what I need to be able to do. I need you to take this and or take the kids for a little bit. And then afterwards, you know, I will focus on the kids and then I will let you go and do something. And then let's find times when we could do things together as a family um, is another really important factor because a lot of what I do, I wouldn't be able to do if I didn't have somebody who is supportive like Trent. Yeah, obviously I have nothing to add to this because I have no kids, but <laughs> I did just want to say that I'm very happy that I do this with Bridget as a mom with two kids because I think so many teachers, how am I going to word this without getting in trouble? I think sometimes they want to say, oh, well, like I get this said to me a lot, like, oh, well, just wait till you have kids. You're not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And I always love to be like, well, actually my best friend Bridget is a mom of two and she does everything that I do. And I think it goes to show you that you can make it work and you can, you know, again, it goes back to that balance, which we talked about in, you know, a couple episodes ago, it's, it's a sliding scale and you have to shift depending on the season of life that you're in. But I just don't like when people automatically assume, well, once you have kids, you have to give up all of these other like dreams that you have. And that's just not the case because you are living proof of that every single day. Yeah. I will also just kind of add in there about this whole mom guilt thing, which is a very real thing. Like when you're a mom, you start to feel guilty about everything. Oh, I feel guilty that I'm going to work. I feel guilty that I'm staying, you know, 30 or 40 minutes afterwards. I feel guilty that I'm going to the get a, you know, to the hair appointment when I should be spending it time with my kids. 
like so long as you nurture them, you love them, you do spend quality time with them. Stop the mom guilt. Like you don't need to have that. Your kids might be with the you know your husband or your partner, or they might be over with you know your your in laws or with their grandparents. They're fine. They're having fun. They're loving life. They're enjoying it. They're not gonna remember that. And I will be honest. Like one of the things that I'm most proud about is that is my mom worked really, really hard. She came from nothing and really grew. I mean, both my parents did. And they worked their butts off like all the time. Um, And I know that deep down, like I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now that my parents worked so hard to be able to provide me with everything that I have now. And I'm very thankful and grateful for that. So stop the mom guilt. You're just going to have to get out of your own head and just realize like it all is well. Like my kids are good. They're happy. They're healthy. They're safe. They have the things that they need. It's going to be okay if I'm not spending every waking moment with them. Yep. No, I think that was that was a good yeah. little TED talk there. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so the next question we have is Mrs. Bear. Oh, um, F E R R E I R A S underscore Happy underscore App. Dot dot dot. Um, says planning for parent teacher conferences. Ooh, what you got, Michelle? All right, biggest tip I think is. To not wait until the last minute <laughs> because there's <Amen. laughs> nothing worse than trying to prepare for like 20 something conferences the night before. It's just stressful. So start in advance. One thing that I started doing just about two years ago that was a game changer. So often I'd have parents sign up for a conference and then I'm sitting there. I'm like, what, what do they want to talk about? Their kid has all A's. Oh, like, I don't know oh, what we're no. supposed to talk about. So I actually created a Google form and I reuse this Google form every single year for conferences. So I made it once and I just mm-hmm. reuse it. Within the Google form, it basically asks like, you know, parent name, student name, what teacher are you meeting with? Because again, we're departmentalized. So sometimes they would meet with one teacher and not the other. Sometimes they'd want to meet with both. So they could kind of, you know, designate that there. And then it would ask like, what academic concerns do you have? What behavior concerns do you have? Is there anything else you want to discuss? And sometimes I would actually have the parents like go to fill it out and they would realize like, oh, actually, yeah, we don't need to meet. And I'm like, thank you. Cause I don't know what we were going to talk about. Like I'll brag on your kid, but I have nothing else to tell you that's yeah. negative. But other times it would really just give me that direction for the conference. I would actually print out each person's response so that I could in the conference, like reference it and use that to kind of guide the conference. And other than that, <laughs> um, I would say, this goes back to the whole like student data thing. If you keep copies of assignments and use those as talking points during the conference, that's a total game changer. I used to like fill out all the fancy sheets and, you know, like the glows and the grows and I stopped doing that. Honestly, now, like I would just take out that student data binder. I'd already have that one sheeter where I have all of their grades up until this point, all their assessment scores, like it's there to reference. I'd have copies of their assignments and then I would have the piece that the parent printed out or that they filled out and I printed. Sometimes the parents would have very specific requests and I might have to go gather other resources. But because I did that in advance, I already knew that going into the conference and it would make my life easier after because I wasn't like, oh, in the middle of the conference. Yeah, let me get that for you and I'll I'll get it to you next week. I feel like I'd end conferences and have all these to do's, whereas this made it more like proactive, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
No, that does totally make sense. And just kind of piggybacking off of Michelle, I will just say like you can go to teachingonthedouble.com forward slash store and check out our planner. There you go. Inside of our planner, we have a (laughs) parent-teacher conference checklist. Guys, I'm going to tell you I use this every single time every time. It is great. Like it helps you plan out everything that you were going to need for that specific conference. Yep. And now I don't really have to think anymore. It's fantastic. Yep. That, that was such a good plug, Bridget. You're welcome. You <laughs> this are why so I keep welcome. You around. <laughs> All right. It's the final question. Da, 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 da. Oh, okay. We're going to say countdown. All right. Da, 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 da. All right. Go for it. This is from Becca. There's like four A's. Dash 10. <laughs> How do you efficiently sort through resources left behind by another teacher? You're going to Marie Kondo that classroom. (laughs) That's what you're going to do. You are. You are. And here's the thing. I would absolutely Marie Kondo it. I would go through, I would sort out all the professional development books because those you don't necessarily know if you can get rid of. So you have to ask permission. So don't get rid of those. But if they have binders files, papers, put all that in a box, like find those like paper, like the paper boxes, you know, where you get the copy papers from, Mm -hmm. like go and snag a few of those and then just shove everything inside of that. So that way you have a clear space that you're working with. And I will be honest, the majority of the time, unless a teacher tells me like, oh, you absolutely need to be using that. I would throw all of it away. Yep. I would just throw it away. And I would ignore it and I wouldn't even look at it because it's going to overwhelm you and it's just stressful. But truly, I would Marie Kondo it. Professional development stuff in one, take all the papers and put them in another, take all the supplies and put them in another and just sort through all of it. Yeah, honestly, you hit the nail on the head. I remember as a first year teacher, I had a bunch of stuff left and as a first year teacher, not knowing what you're going to use, what you're going to need, and you go in without any like resources. I did keep it for that first year, but I told myself, if I do not use it this year, I'm getting rid of it. And that's exactly what I did. I was fortunate enough that I had a file cabinet, which I was not planning on using because I was not a file type of person. That's where all this stuff was. I just left it in there and didn't touch it all year. And at the end of the year, I cleaned it out and I got rid of it all and threw it away. Um, So if you have like a filing cabinet where you can just leave it, that's great. Or like Bridget said, getting those file boxes or those like copy paper boxes is a great way to just kind of get it out of the space. Um, But do not feel guilty about getting rid of stuff. The reality is we all teach differently. We don't need the Mm -hmm. same materials. And oftentimes when stuff like that is left, it's stuff from like 20 years ago if we're being honest oh my gosh have like you transparencies oh like, oh yeah that and have you seen like on Instagram people put like clearing out their classrooms and they're like oh look I found something from 1948 and I'm like oh yeah ugh. like you're <laughs> Whoa, not gonna use old. that so no. get rid of it as Bridget said make sure you ask because there are certain materials that you may not be able to get rid of when I transition to fourth grade, I learned my lesson and I knew that I could just get rid of stuff because I was not going to need it. But there were certain things where I went to get rid of it. And my team teachers are like, wait, no, like that's part of the curriculum. You have to keep that. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) so it got put up in a cabinet and like, it's fine. Um, But don't feel, don't feel guilty about it. No, absolutely. Don't feel guilty about any of that. Um, So we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. For those of you who submitted questions to us on Instagram and we weren't able to answer them, thank you for submitting those questions. We do apologize for not being able to get to all of them, but this episode would have lasted a good, I don't know, like five or six hours long. It would have been pretty long. It would have been like one of those like Marvel movies. Have you seen it? The one that lasts like 
two or to three hours. It's ridiculous. Anywho, we hope that you guys enjoyed this and we hope that your question was able to get answered. So what we would love for you to do is while you're over there checking out our planner because you're looking at the parent-teacher conference checklist that's going to be in there that you definitely need to have, also make sure to submit your TSH. We want to know what is your time-sucking hurdle right now. You can also subscribe to the podcast so that you can get notified when we drop our next episode, which is every Thursday. And then make sure to leave a review over on iTunes. It really does help us to get into the ears of so many teachers out there. And we love hearing from each and every single one of you. So until next time, be timely, stay organized and be productive. Bye-bye. See ya.